0: Hello, plant people. Guess what? It's late August, and it feels normal. Well, um, I'm not really sure what that is anymore, but I will tell you that it does not feel insane. At least, not outside, anyway. Um, It feels just like it's supposed to this time of year, just regular late August hot, nothing crazy, not blistering hot, not soul-sucking hot, just regular late August hot. Oh God, you know, that nice cool front they came through and it dropped the temperatures. And um, we got some much needed rain, you know, nothing crazy like, you know, they got up in North Texas, but both those The drop in the temperatures and that rain just like seemed to revitalize things a bit. You know, the water, of course, helped the plants green up some and the cooler temperatures, both daytime and overnight temperatures, have prompted a lot of things to blossom again that haven't put on flowers in quite a while. Another thing I've noticed is um i've started to see a lot more insects around the yard you know it's been just a hot and miserable and with the garden struggling so much i've not noticed as many issues with insects the um, past few months um, but definitely this past week i've seen more bugs i figure as the plants have been improving with the rain and the temperatures. The bugs are starting to come around and finding them, especially the sucking insects, spider mites, aphids, and mealybugs. I've been spraying for those um, last two aphids and mealybugs on my cucumbers. Um, In the mornings, I have to get out there with the insecticidal soap and just drench, totally soak my cucumber plants from top to bottom, um, just trying to get rid of those bugs. They do not seem to be going away, and I'm, I am begin to think that I probably ought to just give up on those plants, just pull them out. Um, but they're starting to put on more blossoms, and it gives me hope because they have been good, and very productive plants. And if they aren't giving up, then maybe I shouldn't just give up on them yet. I don't know. I've also had to uh, spray for cactus bugs because um, they showed up on my nopal cactus. I have not seen them since last summer. And they are back. Adult cactus bugs are hard to spot because um, they're beige. They are boring and they're slow moving and you really don't notice them if you aren't looking for them. Cactus bugs love the fleshy pads and leaves of cactus and succulents. They have these needle-like mouth parts and that they use to pierce the leaves and then they suck juices right out. They don't leave like holes, you know, like they don't like chew holes in the leaves. Um, It's more like a dry spot on the pads where they've just sucked the juices right out of that spot. It looks like dry cork, Um, those little dry spots, Um, those injection holes, um, when they pierce the leaves and they go from plant to plant, um, they can transmit, um, diseases and pathogens and that can hurt your plants. So these dead spots and also the reduction in moisture, this disrupts the flow of water and nutrients in a plant. So cactus bugs can leave your plants looking yellow and damaged and discolored. Um, and also sometimes diseased. The adults are pretty large for, um, you know, out in, out in our gardens. Um, they can be about an half an inch to up to an inch large. Their babies, and they have lots of babies, are much more distinct. Uh, they're called cactus bug nymphs, and if you have an infestation, you're gonna know it because they are pretty hard to miss. Cactus bug nymphs have orange bodies and black legs. They are flat and teardrop shaped. They kind of remind me of ticks. They live in clusters, and you know, just depending on what stage they are at they can be itty bitty tiny and like the size of a pencil tip or they could be bigger ones um, fat and their bodies can be more about the size of a pencil eraser just like their parents the nymphs are kind of slow and they're i guess they're easy to catch but um i will warn you if you try to catch them They are delicate, and with, you know, just touching them with just a little bit of pressure, um, will, you'll crush them, and they will burst, and it's super gross because they will splooge out all of their, um, all those green plant juices that they've been gorging, and it's disgusting, but... Technically, squishing is an organic method of pest control, and it's absolutely free. It does not cost anything. So it's a, a, a very effective and inexpensive method of controlling these bugs. But if, you, if that's just too much for you to stomach, you can spray them with insecticidal soap and kill the nymphs. It's easy to make and it's cheap too. Just fill a bottle, a spray bottle with water and add a tablespoon or so of um, dish soap and spritz that all over soft-bodied insects like nymphs, aphids, spider mites. It helps a lot if you add some sort of um, oil to your insecticidal soap. You can use any sort of vegetable oil that you already have in your kitchen, or if you have it, a bit of orange oil or horticultural oil or neem oil to your mixture. It helps insecticidal soap stick to bugs so that it can work. I have a nice quart-sized sprayer that I use for insecticidal soap. I make my own, a quart, just a quart of water, a squirt of liquid dish detergent, and uh, an, a small splash of neem oil. I like neem oil because I already have some, and it also, uh, I like to use it because it has antifungal and insecticidal properties appropriate for organic gardening If you're curious about it and want to learn more about neem oil and using it in your garden, go check out the um, previous episode, episode 24 of the Plow and Hose podcast from June 20th of 2021. I spent a bit of time talking about neem oil. It smells disgusting, (laughs) But it's super interesting and very versatile in the garden. So go check out episode 24. All right, I just grabbed my sprayer of insecticidal soap and I went about soaking my nopal cactus and killing those baby cactus bugs. One thing I did notice was that the smaller the nymph, the quicker it worked. So It's important to check your infested plants daily and treat them just as soon as you see those cactus bugs. I'm not really so concerned about them damaging my spineless nopal cactus. I mean, that thing is a survivor. It is pretty neglected. Once it got established in my yard, that was it. I didn't bother it. I didn't water it. I didn't fertilize it. Nothing. I just let it go. And it did great. It was great really up until that terrible freeze, the winter storm Yuri, back in February of 2021. And this Nopal, my beautiful spineless Nopal, It really took a hit. I really thought it was going to be a goner. It looked terrible because it had broken sections, large sections that just broke right off at the base, but I cleaned it up and now it's, it's looking okay. It's got some new growth, but no Paul is tough. What I am concerned about are my other cacti plants that I have, and I desperately want them to be successful in bloom. And I'm talking about my dragon fruit, night blooming cirrus, and my holiday cactus that blooms sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I just never know when it's going to bloom. Anyway, I have these guys outside for the summer, and I don't want the cactus bugs to find them. They are more delicate and more susceptible to devastating damage from cactus bugs. I learned this the hard way in previous years, so I am really determined to keep these stupid sucking cactus bugs away from my precious flowering cacti. They are soft bodied creatures and insecticidal soap works on them. It's quick, it's easy and cheap. Using insecticidal soap is less gross than crushing them. But I will have to stay on top of this because I know if I don't, it will become a problem for all of my cactus plants, not just my nopal. Now, while I did take a more civilized approach of killing those cactus bug nymphs with using my sprayer, I'll admit, I did see a big, dopey looking adult crawling around with those babies. Um, I did squirt it and I knocked it down to the ground and I was able to step on it. And even though I really don't like killing things, you know, it was ridiculous when I think back on it because when it fell, I just like. St- I scooted it over with my big toe, and I stepped on it. I crushed it between the dirt and the sole of my hot pink, fake Birkenstock garden sandal. And it made me feel a little victorious. Because that particular cactus bag won't be making babies anymore. I have not had an issue with fire ants this summer either. I kind of speculated it was because of the heat and the lack of rain earlier in the year in the spring. Um, I wouldn't say I had a problem, but I definitely did see um, fire ants, a few mounds popping up here and there. I usually have some uh, mounds from spring through late fall um, continuously, even through the summer, but not this summer. Um, I'm not complaining. It's, uh, just an observation. I can't really say that I miss them. Um, but I can't really say it. it occurred to me until I stepped on a small mound on my way out to the chicken yard one morning this past week. And, and just as soon as I started feeling those um, scratchy little ants crawling on me, I started hopping around and kicking off my sandal and just frantically brushing off the ants. I'm, I'm sure I looked crazy. But you know, lucky for me, it was just like a little small mound that I disturbed. And in reality, there was only a few crawling on me. I really only got five or six stings for real, I have had, um, I had one really, really bad fire ant incident, so anytime I feel ants crawling on my skin, I do freak out, and I'm sure it's pretty hilarious to watch me, but when I stepped on that big mound, I ended up with a hundred bites on my feet and my legs, so I I don't think that I won't start stripping off all my clothes to avoid ant bites because I absolutely will. Um, anyway, uh, this minor incident the other day did make me think, okay, that was weird. I haven't had any fire ant issues this summer. And then I started thinking about it, and then I remembered the rain. Fire ants, of course, live in the soil, they build elaborate colonies they build very detailed tunnel systems and they work together. And all the ants have specific jobs in their colonies. And when they build these tunnels, they move the soil all around and then it ends up on the surface. Anytime it rains a good amount, like this last storm that dumped, you know, a fairly substantial amount of rain, the water can cause ant mounds to collapse Of course, we only see the top of the colony, the mound of tunnel debris that they excavate um, out of the way. Their tunnels can be quite extensive, and we really don't know how wide or deep the colonies are. So when a heavy soaking rain comes and the ground absorbs the rain, it can cause the tunnels to cave in. And, you know, those ants are going to rebuild, and they quickly get to work digging new tunnels and moving soil to the surface. In my opinion, fire ants are horrible creatures and I've had some awful experiences. But the worst was when my kids were little and they accidentally would get into fire into some fire ants. I I would hate that. Just their their little shrieks and their screams were so awful. So I am not a fan of fire ants. But you know me you know, as a general rule, I do try really hard to be tolerant of all creatures and do the least harm. So if I'm going to be killing anything, I really want it to at least be earth-friendly. So for fire ants, the most effective, most efficient, and most earth-friendly way for me to get rid of them is... Um, is to use spinosad granules. I've tried other organic ways, but spinosad is the best. It's a tad expensive, but it works, and it works well without nearly as much effort. The only other thing that I've tried that works okay for fire ants was boiling water. But honestly, it is so impractical Large mounds need large amounts of boiling water. Hot water is heavy, and if you slosh boiling hot water on yourself while trying to carry a big pot of water across your yard, that is definitely way more hazardous than a few ant bites. So I always recommend getting spinosid bait. And spinosad is actually a pretty cool insecticide, if we're going to say insecticides can be cool. Um, Spinosad is a natural substance that's made from soil bacteria, and it's toxic to insects. It affects their nervous systems when they eat it or touch it. It causes their muscles to flex uncontrollably. Um, and then in a few days, they die. But that's not the cool part to me. This is, it's that spinosad breaks down in sunlight and it does not run, in, run off into the water table. And my, other microbes that live in the soil, they break it down. Whatever is left breaks it down. So to me, it's a really great treatment for dealing with problem insects like fire ants spinosad comes in um, a couple of different forms i like the granules because you can sprinkle it on top of a mound and then the ants think it's food and then they bring it inside the colony and share it with the others oftentimes it works in one application you just sprinkle the grains on top you don't have to disturb the mound and wake them up to come get the food. It actually works best if you don't disturb the mound because the ants are relaxed and they don't sense any threat. It's easy, it's effective, it's efficient. I highly recommend spinosid bait for ants. Local independent nurseries will know what you want. On the other hand, these big box stores, even the ones with small organic sections in the garden department, They won't. As a matter of fact, um, I went over to a major home improvement store website and I typed in spinosad insect granules in the search bar and it actually auto-populated with those exact three words. And you know what? It pulled up, not spinosad bait, it pulled up a horrible synthetic chemical, a known Dangerous carcinogenic pesticide. One that is totally inappropriate for organic gardening. Ridiculous. They just want to sell you a product. So, if you want spinosad and you want an organic product, go to your local independent nursery. Ours is wonderful. You're not going to get tricked into a gross, dangerous chemical product if you are trying to avoid them. If you are looking for a natural and sustainable way to improve the soil in your garden without spending a fortune on expensive soil amendments, try planting a cover crop. Cover crops have been used in agriculture for thousands of years as a way to naturally and sustainably improve soil quality. Cover crops aren't just for large-scale farming. Backyard gardeners can plant cover crops too. Planted in the ground, in raised beds, and even in containers, cover crops keep soil bacteria healthy, add nutrients, and prevent erosion while attracting pollinators and other beneficial insects. True Leaf Market offers a great selection of cover crop seeds, including their best-selling all-purpose garden cover crop mix, which is really popular with backyard gardeners. Order online at trueleafmarket.com and be sure to use promo code PH15 to save 15% on cover crop seeds at trueleafmarket.com. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station, broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Hey, while you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plown Host Facebook page or the Plown Host website and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plown Host podcast if you like the flexibility of being able to play pause and rewind my show whenever you want. Download some episodes and leave a review. It's super quick super easy. It helps others find the show organically. It tells those podcasting companies that other people need to find my show. So it really does help me and others with the ranking and it moves my show up higher. So if you like my show, please go rank it for me. I would appreciate it. It doesn't really take that long. Okay, so if you caught last week's show, the one about garden therapy and what I learned about the antidepressant qualities of a particular microbe that lives in the soil, then you probably recall that I shared that the last four or five weeks haven't been amazing. I've had like this convergence of circumstances that had gotten me down and i also had spent this whole past week working from home i was on medical leave because of covid um i am very grateful that my symptoms were mild but after putting together last week's show i was excited about it and i really wanted to get out and work in my garden And, you know, of course, I always enjoy that anyway, but I really wanted to work in the soil and try to determine for myself if the smell of that Mycobacterium Visei had a positive effect on my mood. And it was a good opportunity because I knew I was already um, had those lingering residual uh, negativity that period I was going through. And I did go out there and I worked some. Um, I planted a few things, but I really couldn't tell. I am still having issues with messed up taste and smell, but worse to me is the fatigue. I still feel run down. And I didn't last long uh, working in my garden, and I just ended up... Uh, feeling annoyed and tired, tired and annoyed. So I've been taking it easy, trying not to be frustrated. Um, I do like spending time outside. So instead, what I had been doing in the evenings is just sitting out on the patio, sometimes with a cool drink and a notepad. Um, I like to do that. I like to just observe Um, kind of write down my thoughts, make to-do lists, that kind of thing. And I guess it was on Thursday when I was out there by myself and I was reflecting on some things and I was making my notes and, um, I was really in the moment focusing on my thoughts and I was writing down my feelings and everything was really flowing and I was really getting a little worked up and processing and everything and, I just happened to look up, and this bit of bright red caught my eye, and it just totally stopped me, and I was like, what the hell is that? I mean, I had been out there a little while, and I actually walked by this spot four times back and forth, and I did not notice anything red, so I stood up, and I took a few steps toward it, and then I realized what it was. It was my oxblood lilies. They they had popped up and bloomed. And right then, when it clicked, what they were, something in my brain, and everything that I had been just been ruminating on, it all evaporated and my heart just leapt with joy over seeing these little red flowers. And I grabbed my phone and went over and took took a couple of pictures. Because these little things just make me ridiculously happy. I do not know what it is about these oxblood lilies, but they lift my spirits in such a mysterious and magnificent way. I don't understand it at all. But they always show up exactly at the perfect time. And just remembering that moment and telling it to you guys right now is making me feel all great again. I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's weird. I am weird. And I'm starting to not even care that my weird is showing anymore. So let's talk about these flowers because they are really interesting too. Um oxbud lilies are a summer blooming bulb. They do not appear until late in the summer. And they won't show up until after the first good rain after a long dry spell in the summer. And that usually comes about this time of the year, right around the time the school goes back. Usually Labor Day time period. They are crazy looking. They have bright blood red trumpet shaped blossoms and they pop straight out of the ground on bare naked stems. No leaves, just olive green stems with pointy little bell shaped flowers Perched on top. Blossoms are two and a half, maybe three inches long. And all together, these plants don't get a foot tall. Um, They kind of look like a miniature version of Amaryllis, but Better. Amar- Amaryllis usually only have three flowers around the top. These have several more. Um, to me, they're better because they're smaller and they're cuter and they have more flowers per stem. Um, I showed a picture to my friend and she was like, Oh, I can see why they make you so happy. They look like little bird beaks and all chirpy. And I had never seen them that way before, and now that she said that, I totally see what she's talking about, because they are definitely happy, and cheery, and chirpy, and now when I look at them, I think that they are somehow noisy, and I told you that I was weird. Some folks call them schoolhouse lilies, since they bloom at back-to-school time. Some people call them red rain lilies since they pop up after the rain. Um, They don't look like rain lilies. Rain lilies are actually a different species. And they have a single blossom. Rain lilies are pale pink, pale yellow, or white. And oxblood lilies have a totally different look. And they are rich, clear, bright red and so, so vibrant. These little red jewels are kind of rare and they are native to Argentina and they are unusual to the United States. We are so lucky because they love Central Texas and they thrive here. The story goes is a German immigrant brought these to Central America from Argentina 150 years ago And they aren't really found anywhere else, just here in Central Texas. They are kind of hard to find if you want to buy some. Local nurseries sometimes get them. You might find some online. They do sell out quickly. They can be kind of expensive. If you are lucky, you can get pass-along plants and maybe somebody will share them with you. I'm going to tell you this story because it is part of why I love oxblood lilies and why they are special to me. Um, I'm When I moved uh, to Taylor 16 years ago in that first uh, late summer that we were here, um, I had a small cluster of these oxblood lilies in my backyard about the size of oh, uh, like a half gallon of milk, I mean, not very many at all. I had very few. Um, And that first year that they came up, I had the exact same reaction that I did last week, totally magical, and I was just completely smitten. Over the next few years, um, always around Labor Day, I'd start looking for them to bloom, And I don't know, one year I just got totally obsessed with them. And, you know, 12 years ago, um, you could not buy them anywhere. You just really had to know somebody. And no, it was longer than that. It wasn't 12 years ago. Anyway, a long time ago. At that time, I was a stay at home mom and I had baby number three. And what I would do, I would put the baby in the car like an hour or so before it was time to go pick up my older girls from school, and I would drive around Taylor until she was asleep, and then I'd go pick up the girls. And during that time, I'd like to drive around the older neighborhoods, and I would look for oxblood lilies. For real people, that is what I did in the September of 2017. During that short, month-long window, I would drive around Taylor with a two-month-old looking for oxblood lilies. And if I saw any, particularly in old vacant lots or abandoned houses, I'd write down the address and then look up... the address when I get back home on the county property records and then I would attempt to contact the property owners and ask if they would let me dig up some oxbud lily bulbs and that was an awkward and weird idea but it was the only one I had at the time and I was really really determined to try it. And I only ever actually spoke to one person. Only one person responded. But it was enough. Um, I was just about to give up on getting any bulbs that way. And then one day, a sweet lady called me back. And it turned out, actually, she didn't live too far from me. But where I had seen her lilies was on um, her family homestead. And she was so sweet and she met me at her family property and she let me dig up some oxblood lily bulbs and it was really wonderful. She was happy and that I had asked her and we spent a little bit of time talking about her life and growing up there in Taylor and out there on the farm. Um, She has since passed away and every now and then i'll drive past her old farm and think about that day and when i do i smile of course i really really hope that everyone has at least one weird thing that makes zero sense but just fills you with happiness just like these little red flowers make me okay it's it's time Uh, to wrap up this week's show, but super quick reminder, if you want to harvest fall potatoes, now is the time to plant them. We have, um, a planting window for planting Irish or white potatoes. It ends just after Labor Day. So hurry up, get them planted. Thank you for joining me again this week. Today's show is kind of a special one. It's the 100th episode for KBSR. I've been doing this show a little more than two years on Black Sparrow Radio. And even though the show is about plants and growing things, I have come to realize it's also been about my personal growth. I actually have really come a long, long way since that first radio show, where I was actually nervous to ask if I could have a show. Um, I wasn't really sure about putting myself out here. Um, For one thing, hearing my own voice um, all my life was like something I felt was awful. I mean, there's probably nothing worse other than maybe seeing myself on video. Um, I, I definitely wasn't even confident that anyone would listen, but I just really wanted to talk about plants. So I just kept going. And now I have the podcast version and columns. I write columns for the Elgin Courier and the Taylor Press. But most importantly and most significantly have been the new experiences and connections and relationships I've made because of this show. It hasn't always come easily at times, but I am so glad I decided to take this leap and share part of me with y'all. It's been powerful and transformative, and I won't ever be the same.